And now it's like, I gotta breathe, I gotta realize, you know, I am good at this. Even the best make mistakes. Even the best can't do it 100% of the time. So I'm gonna take the next opportunity and I'm gonna do my best to, to do it. And instead of, be, like I beat myself up mentally, I'm like, you know what? You could have done it. You did the right thing though by, instead of freaking out about yeah. it, you passed the torch. The torch has been passed, it's lit. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast all about exploring the peculiar human experience and think, question, and synthesize wherever your curiosity takes you. In today's episode, we are joined by a full crew. We are joined by Joe Joukowsky, Mike Tacona, and Nick Bugle. All of these guys have appeared on the podcast separately, but never all together. Today's topic was work-life balance. How we manage what we do for a living while thriving and pushing our boundaries. In the world we live, it can be very easy for us to have a job that pulls too much energy from us and we don't have enough left to pursue the goals outside of what we do. All the topics we cover today kind of revolve around this theme. So we touch on working out and how it keeps a relationship with the unforgiving, dealing with setbacks and how you recontextualize what happens when you fall short from the marks that you set for yourself, analyzing your habits and routines and removing things that are not beneficial to what you want to do. Nursing and military overlap because Mike and Joe are obviously separate, but there's lots of similarities between how disciplined you need to be in nursing that seems very similar to the military atmosphere. Next, we talk about a reset Mike had to have before he went into nursing. And this reset is really interesting. And basically, it's having a better relationship with failure. And then we talk about mindfulness and cultivating the space between stimulus and response the middle ground between arrogance and not recognizing your own worth, and checking your expectations and doing your best in the moment. This is a summary of what we talked about and not all inclusive. So I really recommend you guys go check the show notes, listen to the books that we talked about, or just kind of just meander through this because there's so much here and there's so many little nuggets to take away. And um, as always, my friends here as they are, we talk about these things that are utterly fascinating to me and to hear how each of them have this interplay and then for them to synthesize it all together, playing off of each other's experiences is truly a treat. So with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Joukowsky, Mike Dakota, and Nick Bugle. Oh. And we're live. We're not live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely not live. We, I, you know, I, I grew out of this, and now we're bringing it back. Yeah, that... <laughs> oh, are you not saying that anymore? I haven't said it in a long ass time. What? Said what? Like, I used to say it where we would be you like... You just say it. He started... And we're live. Like, that was like my recording thing. And we're like, live. Yeah, I'd do like a snap and be like, boom, we're live. That's right. And, and a bass hit. But now it's like we're back with another episode. Wow. You know, I've, I've grown as a host... Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> you worked for that one. I was dude. like, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I am. Like, <gasps> it was a knot. Yeah, host, <laughs> producer, but you be producer. All of the above, something basic. I talk. Uh, the showrunner. Yeah, I guess there that's a thing. But yeah, we got a whole crew. So we're with. Say your guys' names so people know the voices. Joe Jakowski, hi. Mike Tacona, hi. <laughs> 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 and uh, Nick Bugle, out in left field. Confirmed. 
<laughs> I was like half expecting you to do your pterodactyl screech for a second there. I won't do that. Are you sure? <laughs> for the, I want no, to. Don't you, Jeff. <laughs> Am I allowed to? I mean, I don't know how it will sound for the viewers, so. <laughs> no, but, you did it last time when I was on with you. And, oh, yeah. And Jordan and you. Yeah. Uh, we weren't, uh, we weren't morality, right? Though. What's that? We weren't recording that, though. Were we not? The world doesn't Oh, no, that was at the end. Yeah, the world does not know. That's okay. We'll use him as like a thing like for a transition one time. That sounds that sounds <laughs> jarring to be honest. With it'll you. be our first it'll be our first horror episode. Really jarring. Um, but yeah, so Mike had sent me a whole bunch of deals to talk about uh, topics, and the first one we should start <laughs> with is like work life or just life, mm. life and whatever you do to subsist. <laughs> subsist. Well, mostly food. Right. Um, well, how do you how water, do you get you yeah? Know, how do you balance the, yeah the, just oh, the balance of everything you know yeah. life and what you do to make money. What or, do I do to make money? Or leech off the government for you. I'll tell you what I do to make money. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. I do a handful of things uh, to make money. To actually earn my money. Well, actually, there's an argument for earning money for all of them. Anyway, um, I am a research assistant for the VA. I'm doing that right now. I did that this morning before I came. Oh, nice. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Well, it's boring mostly. But right. I don't really care because it's chill. And mm-hmm. I can just hang out in a room by myself. And just do dumb work and listen to a podcast while I do it. Mm-hmm. Not dumb work, just easy, simple work. So that's pretty it's not challenging. That's pretty superficial. I'm probably going to go more deep than that. Well, so go deep, go deep. Sixteen foot. I wouldn't, pool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it superficial work because well, not the work is superficial. Meaning like the underlying meaning. How do you balance work and right, life? The, right. How does that? tie yeah. into the difficulty of balancing everything right. well a lot of yeah. people feel they don't have enough time for anything okay so here, here's so okay it's a perception, so me, I'll of, lay it's a perception of time i'll lay them all out yeah. because that's not the only thing that i do so it's that i'm doing landscaping work i think i'm probably done with that for the summer now that i'm back in chicago i didn't mm-hmm. know you were doing that yeah i've been oh, doing that all summer yeah yeah Shit. i didn't take many pictures of it when i was there uh, joe's landscaping work yeah really yeah wow. which has been exhausting it's a lot of like digging <laughs> we built a um so it's for a um, professor, prefer uh, Dr. Fretz. Uh, Previous who was guest. On here. Woo. Um, great podcast. I think it went really well. But um, we basically, he has a big property, and the property has base, something like a cliffside that goes steeply into the Huron River. So we went to a part of it that was overgrown. So there's a lot of trees and brush and whatever. And we cut all that down, cleared out a whole space, and then built a retaining wall. Um, the lower retaining wall that was maybe like three, four feet and then pulled a bunch of dirt from behind it to fill in the retaining wall, make it level. Then we built a second wall and then did the same thing there. So it's a two tiered patio essentially. It looks dope. Um, where you can chill and there's going to be like a, um, what do you call it? Like hanging chair that hangs down from Mm -hmm. one of the trees and it's a nice little spot to chill. <clears throat> oh, so that's been. Is that going to connect to the death ramp as a rem- uh, remember? What is? Wait, wait, wait. What's the death ramp? The death ramp. <laughs> that sounds is, awesome. Was a like really ghetto made slide. Evil, evil Knievel. <laughs> like, yeah. Way, way sketchier. It's super sketchier. <laughs> and there's like a swing, like a rope swing that which you can, I definitely huh. fucked my hands up on. Yeah, we both, me and Joe, wow. both jumped off of it while we were there. Uh, actually, for this, oh, it's the same weekend we recorded the episode yeah. with Dr. Fretz. But anyway, anyway. Side tangent. <laughs> so I was doing landscaping work. I work for the VA. I am a Washtenaw County Veterans Treatment Court mentor. I am, what else do I do? 
I'm the secretary for the Student Veterans of America. I'm the volunteer chair for the SVA, and I'm a student. So you have a lot going on, a lot on your plate. And that's only the summer that you've been doing this, too. This is, I've been doing, yeah, well, the landscaping is just only the summer, but everything else is going on otherwise. And I was in a different, I was in two different research assistant positions this last term. So that includes the VA and oh, then cool. also for the universe. So, so Nick was asking me how to, like, when do I get all my thinking done? Right now you're mentioning doing landscaping and I know you have a lot of thoughts circulating in your head a lot of the time. Yeah. Did you find that you're able to think through your thoughts? I guess you could say have a mindfulness experience or something when you're doing landscaping, but did that help you with maybe your research or your school kind of like, get you out of your head for a while or more so organize your head for a while? It's kind of not quite. I would say I get a lot of my thinking done. When do it's kind of confusing. Normally I have to like focus in and do it. Maybe I'm reading or maybe I'm at the gym or I'm honestly, I'm kind of constantly thinking. Yeah. And there's this real intellectual side What the part that I really got out of landscaping was that there's so much of my life that's very like, insular and not really that challenging physically okay um i mean i take myself to the gym but it's kind of habitualized very white collar you're right it's very white collar and i wanted and i miss part of what i miss about the marine corps was that there was like a certain like hyper not hyper masculine but like a masculine energy there you're surrounded by guys all the time right you can go out and nobody gives a fuck what you say yeah and you just work your ass off and there's no excuse there's no thinking around the problem it's like you've got a problem and the only way you're going to move dirt from point a to point b is just to work it so you would say i missed that part so Mm. doing that in landscaping really had the opportunity for me to decompress from the intellectual stuff got it so you weren't you weren't even in that realm of thought at the time right in some sense the point on the task the point of landscaping was to was to decompress so that i could go back to it oh. because if i'm just doing that all the time i'm unbalanced right. you're gonna burn you know, yourself I, out i need a place to where i can just be physical right. i can just let that part of myself express itself and I, I think that ties into a lot of issues today with people being depressed or anxious all that mental psych psychiatric stuff you know what i mean yeah. a lot of people don't have that physical um, aspect of their life anymore. They lack a lot of it. And I feel that that is doing them a disservice mentally because they're not able to have the time to just zone out and focus on something like lifting a weight or digging yeah. a hole or something. Yeah. And they carry, like, they're never able to decompress mm-hmm. from Dude, life. Eric Weinstein called it, um, and I think it's that and more benefits. Eric Weinstein called it a relationship with the unforgiving. That oh, if you dude, don't that's have, fucking legit. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have that relationship and you start to forget that the world can be unforgiving mm-hmm. and then you set yourself up for a moment where you're completely caught off guard by the brutality of nature. Yeah. Right. So having the opportunity for me to go out and to do the landscaping work, which is analogous to the kind of physical labor I did in the Marine Corps, um, is a chance for me to remind myself and to recondition myself to the fact that some shit is just brutal and you just got to mm-hmm. fucking buckle down and you got to do it. And I like having that aspect of myself honed and it's very, very, very easy in this modern world, especially as a student to forget that. And I'm like, I don't even like the idea that I could forget it. So hmm. I agree yeah. so much. I'd have to say for me that, uh, 
came into light with running when I was training for the marathon. Like, I didn't want to do it. You know, running sucks no matter how good you are at it. Mm -hmm. But just kind of getting off your bum and going for a 16-mile, 20-mile run. Heck, yeah. In the heat or the (laughs) cold, it just brutalizes your body Mm -hmm. and your mind's just calm. And I'm able to study, focus better, sleep better. To use like the sleep part is huge. I would say, I would just pass out. Right, I, I think that's super normal. And I, I think for me, it was like when I first started working out, I didn't really think of it like therapeutically in that sense, where it's like escaping something physic, like using energy that's pent up or something like that. Um, but then when I started getting really into it, it was kind of like this, you know, Zen moment. Mm. And even people I work with who don't really work out consistently, that I said like. Yeah, you know, if I'm working a whole bunch, I might have to, like, leave real quick and, like, go to the gym for a reset. And they're, like, they looked at me weird, like, why would you work out to reset yourself? Like, that sounds completely counterintuitive. Right. And I, and I think that's just because they haven't understand that it's, like, getting out of your head and into your body is, like, this really powerful tool for just, like, hitting the reset button. Yeah. Because you kind of just, you know, you turn on some metal music or whatever music gets you going. And just I would listen pick to up nothing. heavy shit. I don't even have to listen to anything. It depends. I mean, if we're at our local Some, gym, music yeah. there sucks. So I don't. It depends <laughs> on our, it depends on my mindset for music. Mm-hmm. And I'll listen to podcasts sometimes, but yeah, sometimes it'll get so distracting that I have to switch to something yeah. else. Yeah, I agree. Because then I start listening to the podcast instead of working. It out. pulls you out of the moment, yeah. right? Yeah, and then especially, and I've this I've gotten injured this way now. The older I get, the more likely I am. Yeah. Where I'm not quite paying attention, mm-hmm. and then I do something difficult. My mind's just a different place, and then pop, and it's like, Ooh. well, yeah. see, because I let my so fucking form go. This actually I brings paying up, attention to what I was doing. This actually brings up a really good point. How do you guys deal with setbacks? Setbacks. Yeah, because like balance is everything, but like there's going to be points in time where like you fall off the horse, right? Like, yeah. Like every routine is only as good as how long you keep it up for, and if you fall off the goddamn horse then what the fucking is the point, you know? So let me let me start off by saying, as like in nursing, <laughs> there's so many setbacks. <laughs> Things just happen all the time where you have your day planned, you're, you get in the work, you're like, all right, I'm going to, my patients are here, I'm going to do my assessment, I'm going to get everything organized, I'm going to get some charting done, I'm going to start passing medicine, blah, 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 blah. But you get in, you get your patient, and it's like, oh, you have a new patient coming here, and this guy's got X dis- you know, dis- disease right now, yeah. and then he starts crashing, and then that person who comes in is like psychiatric, mental stuff going on, and you're like, how, do I, how do I gather myself to do this instead mm-hmm. of just wanting to be like, all right, screw you guys, I'm walking out, because <laughs> sometimes you have the feeling, it's like, what do I do? There's too mm-hmm. much. You feel overwhelmed like pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. So I I think for me, it's just, you can't do it all. Right. You have to be moment by moment. Okay, what do I have to accomplish first? All right, the most important thing is, let's say this guy's blood pressure is just crashing. I need to see him. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go to that new admission person. I'm just going to get him settled. I have my text. They're going to make sure they're stable. They're stable, fine. As long as they're not hopping out of bed, trying to, you know, hurt themselves, attack someone. Sure. But you have to prioritize. And I feel that. <laughs> to use the military term, it's like prioritize and right. execute. <laughs> and that's when I've never been in the military. When Joe was talking about that, it kind of resonated with me in yeah. a sense. Because you get that with a lot of different things in life. Mm-hmm. So having that structure in your mind of, okay, I need to start here. I need to finish this task. I need to move mm-hmm. on task by task by task. You can organize that chaos and you can kind of breathe a little bit knowing that well, I'm going in a structured yeah. order here. I'm going to get to that. You know, if they're calling me like, hey, hurry up, hurry up. It's like, 
You know, I can only mm-hmm. do one thing at once. If I have to tell someone, hey, I need some help, sure. Knowing to ask for help is also huge. Yeah. You can't just bear everything on your own shoulders. You know, you have to. That's an interesting one. You can't. So, yeah. like, there's two points I want to make up. So, what sure. it, it, these two ideas really resonate together, like with Joe, where he's like, I don't want to lose my edge, and where you are using this as a, like, dealing with setbacks as like an pr- organizational thing. And both of them can be termed, summed up in a single term as discipline basically because it's, it's losing your edge or being afraid of losing your edge is requires discipline to want to chase the edge. Right. Sure. Do and you want to, do you want to sink or do you want to swim? Yeah. And then for you, it's like discipline at the same time is, are you going to like be able to ride the wave or are you going to, you know, fall off it? Hmm. It's the same thing. And the other part of this is, is the, um, fuck it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> like it just fucking poofed. Poof. It's gone. Damn it. Well, l- like for me, I, you guys have known me most of my life. I've never really had a form of or sense of discipline, I guess you could say. So like, I don't know, man, you hyper focus. Yeah, I hyper focus on definitely something. Definitely free spirited, though. Yeah. But like, you know, like, hey, I don't need school. I'm an existentialist. I'm going to go live in a cabin in the forest. I could totally see that. I'm going to go grow me some crops. You know, like, like I can see you like wrong with have that, a log but... cabin and you wear no <laughs> shoes or you like, you know, right. tied some leaves together and you but just live out there. Now, okay. And I had that, you know, I had that mindset the whole time. Like, I don't need school, but I still went to school and I still ended up going to college, but it didn't do anything for me until I decided, you know, I want to help people. And I decided to focus on that. Had I been in high school and been like, no, I don't want to go to school. I want to focus on building a cabin in the woods and having a farm. I would have done that. Right. You know, but at the time I was just so all over the place and I needed that structure. Yeah. So kind of doing that helped me decompress, like having like a form of uh, thought in my mind. It's like you need guide rails almost. Right. Like mental guide rails to kind of be like, keep you on track because otherwise... Your, your, your proclivity is to kind of... It's like, Mike, you're like pure energy. You just need to focus, you know? You're yeah. like diffuse light, but if we can get a magnifying glass, we can burn through That's something. exactly what I was thinking. You, know I mean? <laughs> you just need to focus for that energy. That was... I'm crying inside. That was, that's, that's a funny. very... That was... Dude, that's like what Fred said about leadership, just as an FYI. <laughs> so, that, that's what leadership is, is yeah. focusing that energy. Yeah. It's harnessing people's energy. So I was, you know, kind of what you were saying earlier, like... I need to go reset myself. Mm-hmm. I had to reset my brain too. So like what yeah. I did was I had to leave school when I was going playing baseball, doing computer science stuff. Mm-hmm. I left school. I had to reset my brain, rewire it in a way. So I started reading. I started running. I started meditating. Just anything that I could do just to kind of dissolve those bad habits that I had formed in the past. Like new perspective, I guess. Yeah. It sounds like. New, I needed a new perspective, a new light of focus of area so like that's I, interesting instead of like driving around town which i would do i don't know if you guys know this about me but i would drive like in schaumburg and be like oh great another fucking mattress firm oh wow how many people are at walmart today wow look at these beautiful shitty buildings next to one <laughs> tree i'm like why would humans do this and that was so distracting mm-hmm. to me because i'm like we're so much more than this we're more capable to do better things we can have an urban society with nature involved and i wasn't focused on myself i was just so like out there you know what i mean like you were just judging the world i was judging the world right and that distracted me from myself Mm -hmm. so i needed to and 
needed to find myself in quotes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I needed in finding yourself, the best way to do it is just to you gotta reset. Mm-hmm. And if that's for you, that's going to the gym. If that's me, I had to leave school. Yeah. I had to just reset and I mean, myself. Some people on the outside looking in would call that a failure, right? Like for you to leave school and yeah. like, like a lot of people would judge that and say you mm-hmm. failed because you quit. And I could have right? I could have maintained that and said, you know, I do quit and I could have went down uh, the, I could have went down a path that led me to drugs, to alcohol, mm-hmm. to just kind of being a low life, just mooching up people, not working, laziness. Right. You know, I have, we all have those attributes and I felt those attributes and I didn't, I hated them. I hated them. I'm like, I don't want to be lazy. Right. I, I don't want to drink alcohol and be drunk. Or, I think around that time you were like not drinking almost at all. Well, when I, yeah, when I started uh, going back to school before I actually got into the nursing, mm-hmm. I, um, I completely went sober from everything and that was when I was resetting because mm-hmm. I needed to build the foundation for my neural pathways, I guess you could say, to reset. Yeah. And um, now I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, I think, it's, I think it makes a lot of sense though because like you need to take it. I think it's important even like on a quarterly basis where you um, like have a like – reset on your like what you do like take yeah. stock of your habits that you have right like do you drink alcohol do you drink caffeine do you drink um the, all that kind of stuff yeah. right like how much do you do those things and then take stock of why why do you do those things mm. are they beneficial for you or are they just you know things that you've just wrapped into your daily routine because you're addicted to them for some mm. reason or another Right. And it's not to say that addiction is bad. It's just saying, is this actually a helpful habit to have? Right. There's or are you prioritizing? Good and bad habits. Yeah. And good habits technically are good addictions, I guess you could say. Yeah. More right. or less. Exactly. Like working out to take into the extreme is yeah. an addiction. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's it has a, a lot of positive addiction. benefits. So, you know, had I said I failed, I could have indulged in all the negative things. But... That's when I realized, I'm like, you know, I hit rock bottom. I can't go lower than this. <laughs> I really can't. You know, I have a, a pretty good head on my shoulders. And I said, okay, if this is my rock bottom, the only way I can go is up. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like horrible rock bottom. You know, I, a lot of things happened and I wasn't happy with myself. But when I was able to be like, and look in the mirror and be like, all right, this is you. There's no, there's no changing you. You are you no matter what. Mm-hmm. But you can become a different mind i don't have to be the same mind your mind's flexible you know your mind's like a muscle it can grow it can change it can do a lot of different things that you don't know and when i accepted that like all right you are you you can either do this you could do this you could do anything in a way like if if i wanted to move to africa and learn nigerian and be one with the nigerians i could do that mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like anybody can do that but I told myself, all right, I want to help somebody. I want to be a person that contributes to society to help people mm-hmm. with their health and their minds and just make them more whole as a person. So I just had that in my head. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? And then <laughs> my brother graduated nursing school. I met Mary. And then it, I went to Costa Rica and had a good experience there and realized like we are all people no matter from where you're from, no matter what your demographic, if you're rich if you're poor if this is your mindset that's your mindset it can all change it can all be more um in line with growth i guess you could say yeah like, i mean it's 
it's a common theme. No, it makes absolute sense. It, you know, it can be summed up to, you know, being in service of others. <clears throat> a lot of people can sum up purpose is generally speaking directed toward be, being part of a larger cause. I mean, Joe, you went to the military. Like you can't do any, almost, you can't do anything bigger than serving an entire country uh, outside of there's serving humanity. Like a really heavy. There's m- part of what I liked about the military was that everything was super imbued with meaning. Mm-hmm. Like everything served a purpose. You didn't do things just because was, right. Every stupid little thing that you did in some sense served a purpose. Now they're, they're stupid things. Generally <laughs> speaking, there's a lot right. of dumb shit that people <clears throat> organize and you have bad leaders everywhere. Right. But that was important. How, how was your experience in the military? Because, like, if some if that gave you purpose, like, after the military, were you in the headspace, like, I have a purpose? Or when you no. uh, when you left, you were like, I have no more purpose. No. You're kind of void <laughs> of purpose. I, it's funny that, yeah, I feel like I'm being <laughs> called on my bullshit a little bit here because. I'm not um, calling you. No, I know you're not. I know you're I'm not. Sorry. I, no, 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 no. I know you're not. It's it. The irony is that um, in the military, I lost purpose. That um, before I went in, I was very religious. I thought of my, I thought that, how would I say this? I noticed both in my time involved in the church and amongst my peers in high school that there was something different about the way that I acted than most people. What would that be? Well, one thing was that I, one cue was the, I was semi-frequently sort of elected into leadership positions. It wasn't that I wanted to be a leadership or that I really recognized even that there was some opportunity. You're saying in the military? No, this was in high school. High school. And in the church. Yeah. So there was, I would just, sorry, (laughs) hit the mic, but I, I would just do what I would normally do. And then I would just find people following my instructions. Um, and then I was like, huh, well, this is interesting. And I thought that was, well, I just took note of that. And then I noticed also that a lot of the problems that people had, I seemed to be able to solve. Hmm. So let me, let me just guess here. So having that in your head, like, you know, people want to follow me. I can solve these problems. You know, I'm going to go to the military and do great things. You go to the military and it's just like you get shit on. It's kind of like, like that. You yeah. are everybody's bitch. <laughs> it was, well, it wasn't nobody's necessarily following, that part. Nobody's was, following you. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody cares what you think. It wasn't, it wasn't quite that. Okay. It was more that I thought my thinking was if I can do these things that people seem to struggle with, then I have a responsibility to do them. And so I joined the military thinking, what's the hardest possible thing I could do? And it wasn't just the military, it was the Marine Corps. And I picked the Marine Corps because it was the hardest one. And I was like, if I'm one of the few people that can manage this, I should be managing it. Because otherwise, it's going to fall and become on people who would be better suited somewhere else. And that's not that that's a judgment on them or anything. It's just, it's just. I thought I could handle it, so I was like, I have to handle it. It was my duty. Mm-hmm. So I joined the military, went to the Marine Corps. After a long time in the Marine Corps, what I found was that 
it wasn't that I didn't have opportunities for leadership. It was that a lot of, how do you say this? I, I see where you're going. A lot of the things that I had to do were entirely meaningless because of inept or malicious leadership. Mm. And I thought that I should, I came here to do something worthwhile and now I'm doing stupid shit for people who either don't know what the fuck they're doing or they're just assholes. Mm-hmm. Now, that kind of reminds me of uh, Herrera's podcast where he was talking about the foreman. Mm. You know, he would have some good managers and some bad managers or foremen, however. Yeah. And that that reminds me of it because he was talking about how some of the foremen, they didn't, they didn't give a shit. Go pick up the cigarette butts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a form of, I feel like, it's militaristic abuse of power. Abuse of power. Not saying all leaders. It's domination. Are like that. It's people. Yeah. It's people that are using their position as a justification to dominate them. Now people. you mm-hmm. can either be the sheep or you can be the wolf in that situation. In the military, you're kind of forced to be a sheep, or else you have to leave everything. And there's like, actual legal repercussions. Right. Yeah. Where you're court-martialed and right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's a UCMJ. It's like military justice. It's it's literally a different law that you operate under in the military. Right. So you're kind of forced into that sheep position Mm -hmm. where Eric was more of, I'm not doing this. I don't get, I'm not going to pick up cigarette butts. Oh, at first he said, yeah, I'm 19 years old. I'm getting paid $18 an hour to pick up cigarette butts. No, that's fine. But then, you know, after he got his experience from his guru or whatever, he basically told that one guy like, fuck off. Like I'm not doing this and just walked off and went in the truck and waited. And he kind of, manifested his own destiny in that in that way he chose well you know he chose to be better than to just fall in line and then you know blah, blah, blah. he kind of grew in that moment i think yeah sure. that was a moment of well, it's knowing his worth ri- knowing the, your worth at the very least and not putting up with assholes and yeah. pe- i think that people have to recognize this as something important everybody has worth a lot of people think they don't have it and mm-hmm. they get pushed around by everybody their whole lives and then they snap and next thing you know they're having a psychotic breakdown yeah. Oh, that's that's totally. This is like <laughs> this is a total psychological thing. Yeah. You can see this. Like people that are high in agreeableness will are more likely to be resentful, and the reason for that mm-hmm. is that they're constantly agreeing and they're trying to help you out. They're trying to do this. They're always but saying you know yes, what happens. They right? get walked all fucking over. So if you and this is why they have a certain assertiveness training, as a which is relatively common within um, for clinical psychologists. Oh wow. It's just people that get shit on in these kinds of situations. The guy that goes and picks up the cigarette butt when he knows that he shouldn't, but he's so agreeable that he won't go and do it or that he will go and do it. But what, even though his own conscience is telling him that he should stand up. So assertiveness training is the, is training so that you will stand up in those positions and you'll do what Herrera did. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Right. And that prevents growth i mean maybe the guy who it's like okay sure i'll pick up the cigarette butts well he ends up climbing the towers but deep inside his mind he's like you know this is like i'm he doesn't see a max potential he only sees like all right i'm only as good as what i'm viewed as you know whether it be picking up the cigarette butts and then kind of going on a little bit all right now you could climb the towers okay i'll climb the towers just constantly being do like do what you're told and not not having your own thought process about the situation and being able to walk away or being able to say, you know, I'm going to do it my way, Mm -hmm. having faith in myself and I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get the job done. 
And that's another growing opportunity. Yeah. There might be, there might be two, it should be said, that there are probably also people that genuinely don't care. <laughs> like, if you told them yeah. to pick up cigarette butts, they're going to be like, eh. Yeah. The, like, it's not going to bother them no. in yeah. any way that they even need to assert themselves. They're uh, just like, eh. That's that was something job. I was going to bring up. Yeah. Like, I don't, I really don't give a fuck. And they could just be like, this guy's an asshole, but I won't see him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just don't care. Mm-hmm. Now, but for the people that have even the slightest ping of a, their conscience sitting on their shoulder, tapping on them, them on the side of the head saying, hey, this guy's a dick. You shouldn't listen to him. Like he's treating that recognize that what he is doing is the foreman is being done. Not effective leadership is being done in order not to clean up the the area. That's not the point, but to assert his dominance over the people beneath them. Those people that recognize that thing and have that moment where they wonder, I shouldn't be doing this. Should I be doing this? I don't don't think this is messed up. Those people need to stand up. They absolutely have to. Like, it is a moral imperative. You have a duty. Well, because they're going to hate their lives over the long term. Oh, over the long term, you'll become resentful, bitter, angry. You'll hate your fucking job. You'll hate the people that you work with. You'll hate yourself for, for, for backing down every time. Miserable. It's miserable for fucking everybody. Don't do it. You have an absolute moral imperative to stand up and go, nope. But so here's a here's a warning though. I think if you project this to systems, like entire functions, is a dangerous thing. How do you mean? Like people who like say the system's fucking broken and they start crying and complaining about. The system's against them. Well, the system can be against them, and it True. might be. And then they have a moral imperative to stand up and say something to the, to oh, the system. That kind of feels like, it reminds me, I guess, like Antifa, in a way, like the okay. anti-fascist groups. I feel that's like those, why, those are a lot of people who feel like they've been stepped over and trampled right. on. They're very that's resentful. That's I'm saying. It's, it's a slippery slope. Here, yeah. So, th- there, no, well, there's two different, there's two sides to this coin. So, there's one... There is the fact that when there is something unjust occurring within the system or any system or anything immediately in contact with you, it doesn't have to be the system, some vague thing, right? Society, what does that mean? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. But whatever moment that you are in, it is more about the individual moments that is blocking, that that, that you are having that ping of consciousness. Yeah. Where you feel like you need to say something. Yes. That's when you should say something. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's one thing. What I see with people like Antifa is actually the domination. That is people who are resentful from mm-hmm. putting oh, up the so shit that, in the so past. So that's like the yeah. long-term effect yeah. of it? Right. This yeah. is, so this is what happens if you go long enough. So that if you continuously get walked all over and you never said anything in the past, eventually that resentment is going to express itself somewhere. And then you start saying the system mm-hmm. vaguely is the one to blame. You take it out on other people when in fact... You fucked up in the beginning by not speaking up. Mm -hmm. You could have prevented this entire thing by cutting the resentment off at the knees in the beginning. Right. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't even like need to be said that you have to stand up and say something to that person, to the foreman. Yeah. At least reflecting on it internally in yourself. Like, okay, right. why am I doing this in the right. first place? It, it, just doesn't, it doesn't have to be dramatic. No, you don't have to, have to like stand up and be like, I will not listen to right. you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like, and Eric was very dramatic about well, Not dramatic, well, but no, he, he so took Eric, it to that extreme where he's like, yeah. Eric is just legitimately like, no, disagreeable. I'm done. Yeah. You could just, that's all you have to do. You just have to go, no. 
I'm not going to do that. Right. And, be like, and you can even be super respectful, respectful about it. You could be like, hey, listen, I understand that these cigarette butts are here. I understand that um, there are people here that smoke and that maybe it's our responsibility to leave our site clean. But I'm not comfortable with that, and I don't smoke, and I'm not going to contribute. I'll I'll help pick up maybe whatever mess I left, but I'm not. But right. beyond that, I'm not going to do it. And you have to mean it because if that person is as um, psychologically dis- as disturbed as I imagine them to be, they will probably push you on it. Mm. They'll be like, "Really, bitch? You're not. Gonna- you're hired on to follow my orders." Yeah, yeah, like right. That. But you're not hired on to follow their orders. You are hired on to do a job that the company prescribed, not what your boss says. Mm-hmm. Your boss can be wrong. He's an individual within that system. You are hired to do what the system offered you to do for a certain amount of money. Right. right? So if that person mm. is stepping outside their bounds, you are not responsible for their for their psychological problems. So expressions, whatever. I guess this is where I would say mindfulness does come into play because mm. you're able to digest the thought before reacting to it. You know, instead of saying, F you, I'm out of here or saying, oh, they're trying to dominate me. Like, I'm going to hold it in, but I'm going to keep doing my job. I need my money. I need my paycheck. Mm -hmm. I feel like mindfulness allows you to digest that sort of information. Right. You know, good or bad information. In that case, it's like, all right, you know, this guy wants to assert his dominance on me, but I want my paycheck. I'm going to do something better with my life after this step. You know, it's like a Mm -hmm. step. And I'm going to see this as an opportunity to grow a little bit. You know, I was able to deal with the bs of all of this and i want to yeah. pursue something higher meaning for myself yeah you're I mean, able to look at yourself objectively take in this extra information and think about it process it and then act on you're that you're hitting on um oh jesus <laughs> you're hitting on the theme of victor frankl's book um where basically enlighten me where the man search for meaning one of the the quotes from the book is uh, the the space between stimulus and response mm. is one of the highlights of, of that book. And so that's where like, that's what mindfulness really cultivates in people or when you have a purpose, you can have a reaction. So you have like a boss or someone who's being an asshole to you or telling you something you really, you undervalue in yourself, right? Like you could, you know, your job is not to take up, pick up the trash. Mm. Like you, you believe you have more value to add than that. Right. At the very least, right? That's the best case scenario here. Like you're being undervalued to do a menial job, but there's good and bad ways to, to articulate this. Um, so then you could take this in two directions, right? You can have the knee jerk reaction, get pissed off and start yelling. Mm -hmm. That's the easy way out, right? Mm -hmm. In quotes, or if you've cultivated a sense of awareness or presence or whatever the fuck you want to call it, you are able to look at that moment and be like, you can kind of see this, the tree of options, you know, before you, how do I deal with this scenario? What is the best way rather than just having that? What is that? You know, that snap reaction. Right. And I can actually tell a really good story about this. Um, so I was working with like one of my got my coworkers and you know, he was working on a project doing like fixturing design. I don't do any of that at work. Like we were designing something to do a test and he was taking it on himself to work with the customer and figure that out. I was getting ready for a test. He'd mentioned to me the earlier week, earlier, like Friday, and it was like Wednesday. But Friday he'd mentioned, he's like, oh, we're going to do, like, I want to come over and show you the fixture. And then you can deal with the customer communication to do the test or finish the job. 
And on that Tuesday before I was getting ready for something like another customer's coming in. And so he comes over with the, the design he had and starts setting it up. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like I just set up for a test that I'm going to run in like the next 15 minutes with a customer on site, which we don't do super often. So I'm like, why are you like making me do double work now? And so then I was just talking to him, trying to like get him away from me because like I'm focused on something else. And he's like downloading more information on me that I didn't want to deal with in that moment. And so as soon as I said, like I got to the point where I was like, I'm like, Hey, he's like, he thought he was helping another person run the test. I'm like, no, because the customer wants to be on site, I have to do the test now. And so as soon as I said that, he was like, oh, wait, you're doing it now? I'm going to, like, you can figure this out. Like, here's the fixture. Like, I'll, you'll have to drill some holes and put this thing on here and finish the fixture now. I'm like, like, what the hell? Like, I got pissed off in that moment. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to say his name, but I was like, all right, I don't want to be mad at you, but if you keep talking to me like this, I'm going to be mad at you because you are saying now because I'm the one managing it, you don't want to help and finish what you already started. I'm like, you've already spent all this time and know exactly what to do. Just finish it so I can just run it mm-hmm. and it'd be over. And, but it's his, he's like, well, and he got like upset. But as soon as I like told him, like, I don't want to be upset at you. I like diffused my own anger. Cause I felt myself like, yeah. like I felt like the, in the moment, like in the center of my chest where I was like, I'm going to like, say something I shouldn't say to my coworker right now. You said now. what you had to say. That's why you <laughs> I think you said out. the right thing. I, that, I that's, hope why, I did. that's why you had that physiological moment where you stop being as tense, whatever it is, yeah. the feeling in your chest is because you act the that is a response to a physiological need. Yeah, your heart you rate increased. You said everything what you needed to say pressure. and that's why it went away. Yeah. Like after that, I mean, it, it was still a little tense after that moment, but I was just like, because for him, he was like, oh, I know you want to be self-sufficient and stuff like that. I'm like, Yes, I can be self-sufficient, but when you already have all the mental back information of being able to get to the point where I can just do, that's what I was prepared for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared to take on more stuff in me, like in the moment. So like, you know, it's like a, a splintering. It's like going back to where we, you know, things get thrown in your way, and you're like, "Fuck, I wasn't ready for this shit." Yeah. And now this other person, you know, because they're an unknown variable, you don't know how they're going to deal with their own whatever. <laughs> how, how do you think you got that response out of you instead of being pissed off and saying something you shouldn't have? I don't know. It was like just do a you think weird it's because moment you've been, of clarity. Yeah, you've kind of been practicing. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I mean, it's mindfulness. It's been part of like what I try to cultivate, period. Mm. Just the negative reactive, you know, is one of the stoic philosophies, like just cultivating. Yeah, you've been really managing, into stoicism. Yeah. Managing that and just more mindfulness practices where it's like, you know, just dealing with the stressors of life. And I, I mean, I really think that a lot of the times we kind of practice these things in the wrong sense or rather in too sterilized of an environment where you're supposed to have a pillow and everything's supposed to be calm and you're just in the shit. Like you're just like a vacation. You're in the best possible, you know, Zen moment you could be where I think you should try to cultivate a mindfulness when you're like trying to be distracted or like, uh, I like to do it in the shower so I can like, like learn to block out the, the, the impacts of the, you know, shower on you. Or I would do it when I drive. Cause even though you can't be fully like immersed in it. And obviously some people would argue with this is like, you know, half as effective, but I just, I just think like when you really need those things is when you're already like elevated to some degree. Hmm. So like cultivating a sense of like, can you use these in real scenarios or at least simulated real oh, scenarios? I it's like a dry fire drills. The people who need the pillow and the environment and the music and the calm. I mean, that's a good way to start. 
Well, for sure. Yeah, I'm not saying don't start that way. Right. Oh, I'm not saying you're not, but mindfulness happens all the time. You know, you experience mindfulness like every day. The fact of just knowing that you're in that moment and being like, oh, okay, like that's a thought. Get, Get out of that thought. Like it's, you know, you're basically, if you can do that all the time, you are meditating all day. Right. You're mindful all day. Like knowing that you're thinking about something like, okay, why was I thinking about riding on a skateboard with a monkey? Like randomly. (laughs) Well, that happens. You know, at least in my head, I have these weird thoughts. I bet Bugle thinks that way. Yeah. Bugle is very creative, but you know, like asking myself like, Hmm, maybe I just wanted to ride a skateboard Mm -hmm. and it's gone. I was talking to Mary today and we were walking the dogs and I'm just like saying the most random stuff. I'm like, this is what is just coming out of my brain. But just mental chatter. Yeah. Just me saying it out loud, gone. Yeah. You know, it's gone like a dream. I don't remember it. I remember my dreams more than half the shit I say. <laughs> it's weird. But I feel like just saying that and it's gone, like I'm kind of in the moment. Right. I'm like, I'm able to look at the trees and be like, oh, there's a beetle on that tree or mm-hmm. the, the wind's blowing east. You know, like I'm able to focus on, not focus, but just take in what's going on around me other than just walking down and being like, oh man, I've got to do my homework. Oh man, i got to go to work tomorrow. Oh man, i got to pay my bills. No, that's in my head when I'm walking the dogs. Right. You know, like, like I feel the wind on my face. I see Sawyer scratching the ground. I see so- Ziggy doing yoga. Like <laughs> I'm taking it all in and I'm trying to be present of that. I'm trying to be like, yeah, this is, there's nothing else in the world going on around me because I only exist here and now like I'm not in the city of Chicago running some big business like I used to think like man I wonder what those big business guys are doing right now like <laughs> what are they fucking up this time I'm seriously like no that I go mean, through my head it, it's really funny because like the the exact opposite is happening for people who are like locked in mm-hmm. they they cultivate their life so that they have the most limited amount of like distraction like your your attention is the number one resource outside of your overarching time in a given day attention is the other thing like contrary proper belief multitasking does not exist um i mean it it, it, it does doesn't not. no it does not no because you're giving a half-assed performance to each task like multitasking like if it was a thing it would be true focus on multiple different things at once yeah but like, i mean if you think of it this way like if we use a com- computer analogy when you have like a hundred Chrome tabs open, guess what? Your computer's gonna get slower and fucking slower the more like and more it. tabs you ever have open. So if you're trying to multitask, guess what? Your attention and the quality of work, your speed at being able to accomplish a different task is going to slow down. It's the and same it's like, shit. That's nice. It's extra it's worse it because way. if you have two tasks that you're focusing on, you could say that you're giving 50% to one, 50% to another, but that's not true. You accrue a cost by switching attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like 40%, 40%. Can I, can I argue that? I know what you're saying. Sure. I'd like to make a rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think we're adding too much. I think we're adding too much to the, the definition of task. Like, I don't think task has to be learning neurology and juggling at the same time. Well, I think, <laughs> I think you could probably do that is yeah. what I'm going to get at. Um, because you can get into a routine of things like talking is routine. Um, for me, skateboarding was routine. Throwing something in a trash can can be routine. So if you're using a cutting board and cooking and having a conversation and then you want to go throw out whatever's left on the cutting board, these are still tasks that you're completing while talking and you haven't had a single break of having to be like, mm-hmm. okay, 
I can't know what word I'm going to say right now because I need to throw this out. Now I can get back to the conversation. And I think it's just a learned behavioral thing and mm. adopting like even when you're in a classroom, they tell you to write stuff down at the same time. So you're hearing it and you're writing it. And what you're actually doing is releasing dopamine or endorphins and also learning to remember it in a new mm -hmm. way by actually doing having an activity attached to that. So I would say multitasking not being a thing. I'm, I'm just going to offer rebuttal with very little okay, education. First on off, this. Yep. Totally got it. Yeah. Okay. You nailed it, by the way. This, you hit the neuro uh, psychology on that pretty good. Um Multi, it depends on what you mean by task. So you talked about you can do certain things that become routine at the same time that you're doing another task. So what people do is that they perform a new task, right? So let's say you've never opened a beer before in your entire life. You've never Dear done God. It. And you're like, what is this contraption I'm using to open this beer? Oh, my God. And you have to think about it the first time you're doing it. Maybe somebody explains it to you. You take this little tab and you put it on right on the top of the bottle cap. And then you pop it open. And then there you go. And maybe for the first like. And it's satisfying fizz of carbon dioxide. <laughs> and then you get to drink a beer while you have a podcast with your bros. What? <laughs> but. It's a commercial now. Yeah, right. If only, <laughs> if only we could be sponsored by Pollyanna now drinking their fruit off. It's delicious. <laughs> First one's on us. <laughs> anyway, so if you do that enough, what ends up happening, you can think about the information that you're inputting as settling to the, to the bottom. So you have, here's the information on how you open a bottle of beer. You do that enough times, it settles more and enough, you settles more and settles more. And then it becomes a habit. It becomes routine. So much so that it becomes procedural memory. And you don't actually think about procedural memory. It's just a thing that you do. It's like walking. It's like mm -hmm. trying to explain how to tie shoes. Right. You no longer have to think anything about it. Maybe you remember the little the little song that you said about like, oh, when the bunny goes around the tree and oh, that's how I tie my shoe. And you can remember that, but you don't have to remember that while you do it. It is so ritualized, so routinized that it is totally without thought while you do it. Mm -hmm. Those tasks that have been routinized, you can multitask, but you can multitask them because one of the tasks you're doing is with does not require thought. Mm -hmm. And in fact, doing things like that increases, uh, it, it's some, it's, it's creativity. So if you're trying oh, to be really? creative, yeah, if you're trying to be creative and you have some problem that you're trying to struggle with, there's a thing called the um, MacGyver method, hmm. which, oh, which isn't because of does MacGyver and the character. paperclip and a rubber band? And no, it's because oh. the writer, <laughs> the writer for the original MacGyver had a problem because he wrote, oh, this is a cool character who does these things. And then he realized, oh, fuck. Every week. How am I going to figure this out? <laughs> Every week, I'm going to have to write some insane contraption to get out of a problem. Every week. So he had to be super He wrote creative. himself into a problem. <laughs> so he, what he would do was that he would walk up to like a whiteboard or chalkboard with his writing team, and he would write the problem out on the board. Mm -hmm. And then he would, con he would ask himself, like not just in some abstract way, he would actually ask himself, how would I get out of this problem? Mm -hmm. And then he would go and do routinized behavior. So he would go and take a shower generally or drive or mm -hmm. go for a walk or whatever. It's some action that you can do without thinking about the action. Yeah. And then the solution 
would pop up in his mind either while he was doing it or he would come back and he would write out right there he'd write the question how am i going to solve this and then he would start writing gibberish he'd be like i went to market x you know whatever blah, 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 blah. and then suddenly the answer to the solution would come out that's uh. crazy i mean it makes so much sense because i've heard um between other podcasts i've learned where there's neuroscientists or other scientists about learning like learning hacks or like how to effectively learn that doing some sort of physical behavior while listening to something that you would learn like just walking on a treadmill yeah. can help improve learning capacity i think it's like a 10 like a 10 percent increase in like remembering which makes me wonder even more why the fuck we sit down in a giant lecture hall. Right. But like, <laughs> like it, I, it's just crazy, like, just doing something physical. And it's interesting, like, when you were saying that. It's I'm, almost like the body and the mind are disconnected. And if you want one <laughs> to be active, you need the other one to be active. Right. Oh, my God. Like, I feel like it comes down to, like, uh, ancient human learning. You know, you, you most of the time, like, okay, back when we were nomads, I guess, or, you know, we were fending like for our lives tribal. more. Tribal. Yeah. Right. We were always moving, you know, we're always, we always had to do something. We're just like laying around. Yeah. Well, we could have been potentially, but I feel like most of the learning and progressing that happened for early humans happened on foot in a group of people, maybe hunting for an antelope or a wild animal or something. Right. So that learning mechanism in our brains Maybe was it's um, a compound it's, process. It's like yeah, it's like the foundation we, for it. We just learn better when we're actively well, doing to, something, you, moving around, you engage multiple engaging senses, multiple senses. If sure, you just yeah. Do it one way. It doesn't. It doesn't reinforce the behavior or whatever the fuck that you're trying to absorb. Like you need to have it come at you in, at different angles, right? Because not everyone's going to learn that, effectively. Two <laughs> things. One, yes, because memory what is a single bit of information is retained because it's connected to a network right so that you have multiple avenues that you can get to it when you're trying to find that word you're like oh fuck what was it the reason you're having a hard time getting to it is because you're coming at it from a literal physical angle that you've not come at it before yeah. there's a neuron that could be connected to that solution mm -hmm. that you can't reach because they haven't been connected in the past. Yeah. All right. Mm. So you are literally coming at it from a different angle. Yeah. That's one. Wow. Two, we evolved learning under survival conditions. Yep. So we were never sitting in a classroom trying to learn information. In the a way safe that environment, learned, right? <laughs> right. The way that we learned was to go out and do the thing. You were going out and you were actually physically doing things <laughs> I, I feel like a broken thing. record when i say shit like that no. where i'm like you need to do like you need to learn one way and then actually do and break it or play with it or like no. see it do something so, like can it I, doesn't work can i just say something yeah go ahead so i feel like what would be a good solution to the lecture hall then is teaching students or children like how to have an active imagination you can put yourself <laughs> in that set in that situation like, There's okay. really good science on this. I'm sure Joe knows it. About, the, about the imagination? <laughs> yeah, like so, creativity. Like right. the lowering of creativity as people get older in, in grades. So when I was, like, I was a poor reader. I never read a lot. And I was, I'm like trying to read books. I'm like, man, I just can't remember anything. I don't remember anything I read. Like writing down notes doesn't help me. What's going to help <laughs> me? So what, what I, I really tried to do was activate my imagination. Like, okay, it, it says they're, you know, they're driving down the road and they see mm -hmm. the, the bird flying next to them, whatever that description was. I really, really tried to focus on making that imagination happen. Because for yeah. some reason in my brain, I'm, I'm not sure if it happens in 
your brain, I'm sure it happens in most people's brains when they read, is they can't put themselves in that imaginative state to see so mentally what the page is describing. So this is funny that you're saying this because that's great. I've, I've always done this. I know. Yeah, you like, have. You when, said you sorry. You said that like reading for you was like a movie. Yeah, like when I start reading chapters, for you was like a movie. it's like I feel like it's a new episode of like a TV show right. where it's like I, as soon as I start reading, I can see in my brain like this, like the last page or so. And it's like, I transition and there's like a page cut and I'm like in the, Very cool. in that. And like, I mean, part of reading for me when I first started reading before I got into nonfiction was an escape. Like I would escape into other people's lives right. or other people's story about solving problems or, you know, doing science or whatever it was that I was reading. Like Lord of the Rings is a huge escapism thing Great. because like you're, so you're, transplanting yourself into a new so, dimension <laughs> you were able to do that so oh yeah my issue because like i always people always thought i was a good reader i had great semantics i was able mm -hmm. to read a paragraph like i'm shakespeare you know i, I can <laughs> pretend to be somebody but i wasn't able to do that at all so like all throughout high school and early college like it sounded and seemed like i was a good reader my writing was pretty good I seemed to know what I was talking about, but in my head, I didn't know what mm -hmm. the concept was that was being said was. Because when I was young, my mom would teach me how to read, and I'd be like, I'm never going to be able to read. <laughs> so for me, it was always a challenge. Like, I need, right. I want to sound like I know how I can read, you know? Mm -hmm. I want to, because I was always reading out loud. And because I was struggling with reading out loud, for me at least, it was like, I, I need to sound like I know what I'm saying. I need, I need to just be, I need to be able to just read the words and just read them. So that way I can yeah. be like, wow, Mike, you read it. So my whole life growing That's up, so that was weird. reading for me. It wasn't ever an escape. It was always performance? like performance. Yeah. I That's guess it was always performance and I can tie a lot of performance into, I mean, your sports background is like huge sports, in that, art, just like, I never, trying to be something, I hate, trying to be good at stuff. I personally hate performance. Yeah, because or at least like looking at back in high school, it was like it would always just freak me out. Or I hate spotlight. I don't really like being like. I mean, why do I play the drums? Behind? Why do you have a podcast? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't. I'm not performing though. I know. Yeah, like this isn't performance just, for me. You're, you're, I know you're fucking. You're the with me. you're the stage more or less. Actually, I don't. I don't. I don't feel like it's about me. No. I feel like I'm highlighting the person. On you're the other. you're you are a conductor. I, it doesn't. I don't even feel no. that. I just because a conductor is the guy in front of everybody. Plus, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you are, though. You are in front of everyone. You're bringing these artists, these musicians on stage, and you're giving them the cues, kind of. I'm highlighting other people. Right. But you're giving them the cues for, you don't know how to play the violin. Okay, maybe the conductor doesn't know how to play the baritone, but he's telling the baritone when to start <laughs> increasing his volume and start playing. You kind Plus, of do that. there's no audience here. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not a performance. You know, you're just hanging out. But push back on that that it depends on what you mean by performance in some sense there's a negative connotation there but when i read what helps me remember mm -hmm. nonfiction, because yeah there's two different there's two different is, things to like unpack fiction is that. imagistic i can imagine it like you were talking about i really resonate with that idea of uh, you're you're imagining the whole situation I mean, that's that's totally great for fiction for nonfiction. I have to read it with the intent of explaining it to somebody else. Yes, that is a hundred percent. That's the only way I can. We get both it. pointed at him at the same <laughs> well, time. It's like that's I what mean, I. That's why I went. That's why I was a tutor in school because <laughs> I'm like, if I'm going to remember this, 
I have to explain it to somebody. I mean, that's, I mean, part of the excuse for this podcast is so I can learn better for myself. So it's not fully, and, fully altruistic because I know I'm going is. to explain it. Um, because I, I like every time I read something, like all my books upstairs, at least the last like four or five uh, nonfiction books, I have a new process and you've seen it, Mike, hmm. where, so I underline, I underline parts that I think are yeah, effective yeah. that I want to come back to, or at least just so I can, you know, underline it in my brain, even if I don't come back to it, which a lot of times I'll write down quotes other than, and then, so end of chapters, I've put a vertical flag at the top of the chapter. So I know where the end of chapter is. But at the end of the chapter, I write like a couple bullet points of what resonated with me the most in that chapter, either things to expand on, go back to and like Wikipedia or whatever, like theories or themes or something and be like, find this and dig deeper. Or it'll just be summarization is and whatever was left me. And so basically the, the last part of this, which I haven't implemented effectively yet, is basically take a summarization of every chapter and drop that into an, a note-taking system of some sort, either online or handwritten. So then you have your, your own personal spark notes of a book. And then you can kind of go back to, like, if you go back to it, you can look at it and be like, oh, shit, there's something here that I need to go back to. And you already have the flag with the underline, and you can find that shit right there. But all of that being said is by doing that process alone, I can highlight effectively different parts of it to more like more effectively than I've ever been able to like articulate books. And I know Mike, you probably get the 90% of my mental, (laughs) my mental barrage of all the things I'm reading in the moment or absorbing. (laughs) Does does doing that help you remember? Oh, for sure. Like it's ridiculous at how much I'm able to retain on this level. So when you retain, I'm just curious. So let's try to think back on something you highlighted. Mm -hmm. What do you think of when you think of what you highlighted? So my first, so this is- Do you think of a picture or do you think of the words or do you think of the paper? It's ideas and stories now is is the modern Is it it like a a fictional setting that you set for yourself to remember something? Nope, it's more of ideas. Like how, like what ideas are in front of brain for me Mm -hmm. and what ideas are like, I think need to be expanded on and kind of built up more like i think things that are missing like you know what what could i write about like now is like kind of writing is like i'm trying to fill out this writing paradigm for myself like build a skill like how do i rearticulate information and expand on what we were talking about and like it was something that ldap had said in his podcast which was anything you read there's a chapter or some a passage a paragraph that is unwritten and that's what you got out of that book or whatever the fuck it is that you read, or even a podcast that you listen to, right? Like, there's always that final chapter of how do you synthesize the ideas that this author or this person has given you, and what did you get out of that, and what can you either add or just take away from it? And I think that's super important. Yeah, you learned that a lot in school, I think, too. Partly, yes. Do Do you feel like you still have that, the taking away your experience is part of it when you read books that are just all about giving you the ability to walk away with the ability to explain to someone else. Like, for instance, A Brief History of Time mm-hmm. is just, it reaches such a broad spectrum because it's so Absolutely. broken down. They have diagrams and <laughs> all this stuff that is meant to be able, so you can walk away from that book and say, hey, this is how quarks work and this yeah. is what a black hole diagram might look like. Is there still that same experience of what you got out of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so this is, I don't know if this is patting myself on the back or not because I feel weird saying it, to some degree, but I've always felt like being able to take a complex subject 
or something that someone doesn't know. Like maybe a teacher explains it for the first time to them and it doesn't sink in the right way. I've always kind of had this ability to kind of take something complex and break it down into the simplest terms and re re like say it to someone so that they like, oh, the light bulb goes off. And I, I remember specifically being able to do this in chemistry class and they like they're like, how do you know how to say this better than the teacher? And I was like, I don't know. It just it's just a now, thing. <laughs> now, what if you re- realize that you're good at this and then you say, you know, I you know, I don't want to say I'm good at this. Like, I don't want to pat myself on the back. I don't like patting myself on the back. Right. What if, what if you didn't recognize that you were good at it? What do you think would happen? It's called arrogance. Well, you're not arrogant, <laughs> but you're still patting yourself on the back. Plus, arrogance presupposes that you would know that you're good at it. Ar- and arrogance would be like, yeah, like, I know this better than pretty much everybody. I don't think that. Right. I'm not saying you do. <laughs> but what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is being able to pat yourself on the back is a good thing. You need to know, okay, I'm good at something. Accept yourself. <laughs> I, you know, like, I started playing I'm the guitar forever, again pretty I'm heavily. I'm forever the beginner, right, okay? <laughs> right. I started playing the guitar again heavily six months ago, and I'm like, man, I suck at the guitar. Like, I play the same crap over yeah. and over and over. And then I'm like, you know what? But, like, I kind of sound pretty good. <laughs> I think I'm ever. actually pretty good at, at the guitar. And doing that, I've been able to learn more. Instead of being like, you know, I play the same stuff over and over. Like, you know, it might sound good if I play the same stuff over and over. But I'm not really good at the guitar. <laughs> Telling myself that I sound good. Yeah. I can do more I, allowed me to learn a couple more things. And I'm not saying I'm, like, the greatest Joe's at the like guitar. Joe's, like, itching to go. <laughs> ah, I you should. Listen, if you're not. Okay, you need to have a realistic expectation and serotonin. perspective of your. <laughs> actually, yeah. What did yeah, you say? Yeah. Really good. Yeah, that's good. Serotonin. Yeah, I'll oh. hit that. Yeah, nice. This will be yep. good. <laughs> I can time together. Cool. Okay, cool. Do uh, it. You need to have a realistic perspective of what you can do. So if you aren't patting yourself on the back because you think you have some misguided notion that. Um, you shouldn't talk about how good you actually are. But if you are actually that good, it is not a, it is not an arrogant statement. It is a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. And factual statements don't have anything to do with some emotional, well, they do. But right. <laughs> they don't have to be effective, affective, meaning emotional. Yeah, right? they, 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 don't, they that, don't have to have some, some greater valence, some greater value to them other yeah. than just a statement of fact. I am good at X. Doesn't have to be an arrogant statement. If you're LeBron James and you say, I am probably one of the best. If he says, I'm one of the best basketball players of all time, that's not arrogant. This is true. That's just a statement of fact. Okay? So you need to understand that. But also, to tie into serotonin, if you let yourself recognize those things, have that emotion, serotonin, the neurotransmitter that gets released as you climb up a hierarchy – and also, because it's really tied in with a whole bunch of other shit. Right. Um, TLDR. <laughs> will, I'm going to get yeah. there. I'm going to ask a question. Will help reinforce the movement up that hierarchy. Yeah. So if you don't react or don't let yourself react, you are theoretically robbing yourself of the opportunity to have motivation to move forward. Yeah. I think that's wrong. And here, here's the reality, too. Is, and here's something that I, I I figured out the more and more I've got into philosophical thinking is that while there is a certain amount of, there's definitely a danger of arrogance mm-hmm. and there's definitely also a danger of not recognizing your own potential. Yeah. 
in the middle, there's a place where you know that you're okay, that you're good at what you do for the most part. And you also recognize that some conversations, for me, I should speak personally, for philosophical kind of deeper yeah. idea stuff. Like working through There a, are a actually people I shouldn't have a conversation with. Yeah. And that the reason for that is, is it's it's genuinely wasting my time. Right. And and that's not an arrogant statement. It's the fact is that there are some people who are so unversed in this place. Yeah. That me, I would spend more time explaining to them why they should think outside of their box. Yeah. Than I would getting to the point. Yeah. And when it hits that point, fuck it. That's it's not worth my time. I agree. I mean, I and think they they don't even know that they don't know. Yeah. So, Can I? And that's a problem. But you should also seek out people who would almost think that about you, mm-hmm. but would be able to recognize the potential so that they can go, oh, I see you have a skill. You're not there yet. Let me explain this to you. It's like somebody who is a jujitsu black belt yeah. training training a white belt. Right. They're not going to go black belt on They're you. not going to do 100%. <laughs> right. They're going to they're do it at your level yeah. so that you can learn. So you should search out people. Those I feel like I'm just kind of a perpetual blue belt in most things. <laughs> so let me, let me, I'm going to bring this up. So this is going to bring us back to setbacks and failure. Cool place to wrap it up, or at least beginning Setbacks to. and failure. So when you think you're finally good at something like, okay, I, I am good at this. I'm not the best. You know, I'm not arrogant about it, but I know I'm good at something. Mm-hmm. And then you screw it up. So, okay, this is another personal example. Like I've gotten really good at starting IVs. Mm-hmm. So that's the lines that go right to your veins to give medicine. And a lot of people yep. have crummy veins. It's, it can be really difficult. And a lot of people don't have the, um, what are you doing? <laughs> ready to yeah, you're, you're up. Right. yeah you, you don't even need a tourniquet. I could do it right now. So a lot of people are so scared you to do it. Bastard. So I'm like, I, that's my goal. I am going to be one of the best IV starters on my unit where people ask me to start IVs, which they do. But I've had a lot of moments where, they're like, Mike, I need you to start an IV. I'm like, I got this. I carry the equipment around in my pocket. You know, like I'm <laughs> ready to go for the moment. And then I get there and I'm like, crap, I, I blew it. I missed the vein. All right, let me try again. Oh, sh- I still fucking can't do it. One more time. Oh, my God. I just poked this person three times. Oh, my God. Stop poking me, please, please. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got to call somebody else. And then I walk out of the room. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I thought I was good at this. Why did I? How come I wasn't yeah. able to do that? Now, that is a moment that can be completely catastrophic, I think, because I used to get in my head back when I played baseball and I would walk a couple of people in a row and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm I'm done. Like, coach, pull me out of the game. I am done. And now it's like I got to breathe. I got to realize, you know, I am good at this. Even the best make mistakes. Even the best can't do it 100 percent of the time. So I'm going to take the next opportunity and I'm going to do my best to, to do it. And instead of be, like, I beat myself up mentally. I'm like, you know what? You could have done it. You did the right thing though. By instead of freaking out about yeah. it, you pass the torch. The torch has been passed. It's lit. Start the IV. That person's safe. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm gonna get it next time. I, I think that's a really cool idea because you like just having that mental reset. What? Having the mental reset. No, Bugle wants to go. I I was gonna say, um, for me, I I think I have a different perspective on stuff like that. With, Ooh. Um, you're always interjecting. He loves being. <laughs> he's a devil's it's advocate. A thing, devil's it's a hipster thing. You're not a hipster. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you're cool. So, I would say in my experience, those things happen 
and I'm just to bring this all a little full circle, I think those moments put you in check for when you're good at something and you're so good that it just becomes routine, but it can eventually become too routine for those events where things are irregular. And then you get back to what Joe was talking about earlier, where he doesn't want to get outside of that reality, outside of the brutality of the world, that there are irregularities. Mm-hmm. And so he needs to do the dirty work. And in, in this sense, nature is doing that dirty work for you to say, hey, get out of this routine. You still need to have some awareness when you do this task. I love it. You're totally right. Yeah, totally. You're totally yeah. right. And and you're right because I had to have more awareness because I was getting into the routine and like I was looking for the same veins. Like, okay, mm. the, these veins give me a good return. You know, ah. I, I got a good success rate on these veins. And then I had this, you know, women with flabby arms and I'm like, I see the vein, but the vein wasn't stable enough. So the better thing would for me would have been to tighten the tourniquet yeah. find a deeper vein by feeling oh, other okay. than looking feeling the vein and then that's the vein and i've actually been able to like recognize that okay you can't always go for what looks like it's the best yeah you need to you need to feel use more of your senses and have a little bit of courage and just <laughs> and just kind of go for it yeah and then that is when you i think become good and i feel like i've reached that moment that's and I'm not trying to sound arrogant because there are way better IV starters than me. <laughs> They've been doing it for 20 years. Right. But I mean, you're at the like you're scratching the surface right. of what your skill so, level is going to be right. like. I mean, you just got your uh, RN. I'm nine months. Like, nine months. Yeah. You're, so it, this is this is something that comes up the same. We're touching on this, and you, I think you nailed it with the last thing you said. Yeah, you really did. But there's this concept I've been reading: the Tao Te Ching and uh, meditations. Marcus Aurelius. And both Damn. of them have hard hitters, man. A um, <laughs> both of them have a emphasis on distrust of expectation, mm. so that if you are so good at something, you it would expect that you would continue to be good at something in that next moment, and that actually sets you up for failure yeah. because there can be an anomal anon- anomalous thank you so situation that you didn't predict, and now that throws you off, and now suddenly your schema of your of how you fit into that uh, hierarchy gets thrown off. So it's so so don't have expectation. Every time you show up to that thing, assume it's totally random. Right. Oh, it's gonna dude. be fucking weird. Yes. And then you just show up and you just play it as it is. <laughs> and then what happens happens. And then sometimes, actually most of the time, it's gonna be you've already done this a thousand times. And you'll just nail it every time. But yeah. then you won't be caught off uh-huh. guard when the weird thing happens. Oh, yeah. I Dude, just got I just got so goose I just dope. got goose pimples. So, <laughs> I got called into a room for an IV start and instead of saying to myself like, "I got this. I'm going to start the IV." Like, doesn't matter who it is. In my head, I was like, "I don't know what this person looks like." And Jill, I'm going to name driver Jill, the nurse, was like, "Yeah, she should be pretty easy for you." And in my head, I'm like, oh, she's probably got popping veins out, yada, yada. And then I said to myself, I've had the same experience where I had that expectation of those veins Mm. just bulging at me and I can start them. And I go in there, I'm like, holy crap, I can't see nothing. (laughs) So this time, instead of having any expectation of what I was to experience, I said, I'm just going to focus on starting this IV. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter who it is, what it is. Like, I'm going to use what I've learned and gathered in skill and I'm just going to start to buy a V no matter what. Yeah. And I get in there. This person, she had like no veins. I'm like, what do you mean she should be pretty easy? <laughs> so by not having that expectation in my head, like, yeah, I'm going to get it. I wasn't thrown off guard. I wasn't thrown off guard like, 
I went in there. Where are the bulging veins? Right. Where are these bulging veins at? They just said it was going to be easy. Where are they? And then I'm like, oh, crap. I was like, okay, where can I do this? And then I found the right spot and I went for it instead of going for that expectation. That's yes. awesome. Yes. It, it really reminds me of <laughs> no, my, it so manifest. To, you're really, that's to kind of just encapsulate this whole thing. I listened to a podcast on the science of winning, um, which is really fucking interesting, which I was like, I, I saw this and I was like, wow, this is kind of weird. But one of the quotes they said was performance is a choice. And they use it in context of sport, obviously, as performance. But when I listened to that, it was the Whoop podcast for, for context. So I'm yeah. wearing it, whatnot. But they basically talked about how that when you choose to perform and they, uh, like I said, they use it in sport. But performing is blanketed across anything like you choose to perform as a student you choose to perform in the gym you choose to perform at your job or wherever the fuck you are it doesn't matter you're choosing to show up for that five minutes to start an iv or mm-hmm. whatever it fucking takes and so they say like one of the co- like quotes that i really got out of is like pretend the score is zero zero no matter what the fuck the scoreboard really says and so if you can just kind of imagine the world as like, it's zero, zero, you've never fucking done this before, but you've got the requisite skill to perform in the moment, then what do you have to lose? Because you just got to show up. And that's it. Yeah. And I fucking love that. I don't know why I love it so much, but it's like, it's just, it just encapsulates so much about like, just being your best every fucking day or in like every fucking minute of your day is like your choice is like how you do anything is how you do everything. So you do see that a lot, a lot in sports and we'll probably end on this. You see that a lot in sports where that team gets ahead by 30 points or in mm-hmm. baseball, it's like five to zero and it's the mm-hmm. eighth inning, ninth inning. You see the players start to be a little more lax. Mm-hmm. The pitcher goes into it. The closing pitcher goes into it being like, hey, it's five to zero. You know, I walk, they guy, like, they get, get up a home run. Yeah. No problem they have that expectation of, you know, I just got to get a couple outs. I'm good. And then you see the other team just rallies mm-hmm. and they catch them off guard and they lose next thing. That ha- that does happen all the mm-hmm. time. So if you go in with the mindset of zero, zero, that's a good mentality. So there's probably more mentalities. What's up? I've, I've had this applicable to jobs since that's where we started at every single job I've ever been at. We're like, when I was at my dealership, I would spend three hours twiddling my thumbs and then out of nowhere, 50 cars show up at the same time. When I'm at the blood lab, I'm like about to leave. And then they're like, hey, we have about 120 samples we need you to file. Like all these times when you just get relaxed and you're like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to take it easy today because it's been stressful. I don't need to stay on my game. And then out of nowhere, you get smacked with something. You're just like, wow. Yeah. I let myself drop off and now I'm not mentally prepared because I sat back to now take on all these tasks that just showed up out of the blue. Right. And I feel like that can go with... That's so dope. I, that can go with having like, I'm so good at this. You just become so relaxed in it that yeah. you, you know, forget the all foundations right. and look for the right thing. So let me just say... Sum it up. Yeah. Jim Rohn. Tie it in a bow. For, okay, for going to work every day, Jim Rohn, and I think of this when I'm at work and I'm having a shitty day. It lets me work from A to B nonstop. I don't I don't think like those moments like, yeah, I'm going to just relax. I'm chill. You're sacrificing your life for pay. When you're at work, do the best job possible. If you do the best job possible, you'll be happy. And, and if you think that I'm doing this for the betterment of my family, of society, mm-hmm. you're giving yourself something as a reward, not even just money or monetary value. 
you're doing something for yourself and for others, even if it's doing blood. Like mm-hmm. you just did 120 samples of somebody, of, of multiple people's blood. So having that mindset from point A to point B at work and then clock out, leave it at work. You don't think about work any longer. Mm-hmm. You can relax. You can calm down. You can enjoy your wife, your kids, your family, your video games, whatever, and not worry about those tasks you were doing because you were just, you were there. Yeah. So I think understanding that sacrificing your life for pay is a positive thing, even though it sounds really shitty. <laughs> it just lets you focus in it's the moment. It's a necessary thing. Yeah, it's, it's not even for the pay. It's, just the, it's like the necessity of the challenge. It's you, If you put yourself all out there, if you don't leave any chips on the table, yeah. then you can rest easy. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's dope. I think that is a perfect point to just end this wide-ranging and oddly connected conversation. Yeah, there were a lot of coincidences, <laughs> a lot of coincidences that weren't expected. This is mm. a and not coincidence. If if it mani- if it's an abstract that manifests itself in the personal, there's a good chance that it's true. Yeah. Damn. You- coincidence for me, I would say coincidence because I just didn't expect them. Yeah. And they just kind of, you know, we're just talking. And next thing you know, you're talking about something that happened in my life that happened in his, his life. Well, if it's true, right? If I'm describing it's an true. abstract thing that's yeah, true, you're right. then it wouldn't be surprising that you experienced uh, it. Ah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, okay. Cool. This is dope. As always, actually, this is the first conversation with all three of you guys, not solo. Obviously, Joe and oh, really? Bugle have been on together before, but... Yeah. This is the first time Mike has been on with other people. Oh yeah, outside oh, of Mary. outside of Mary. But yeah, this is dope. Dope guys. Sweet. See you later, everybody. Bye. We're gonna go drink more beer. Bye. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening, and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode.